0: Is your identity to be a leader, a leader in your community, a leader for your family and creating good generational patterns for the next couple generations of your family, hunting with kids, hunting with grandkids. That stuff being defined first is going to go a really, really, really long way. Sure. Otherwise, it's just you're going to work out, get sore and not want to work out again.
1: Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming over here today. Oh, you bet, man. Bit of a long drive, but...
0: It was beautiful, though. Yeah. You're in Belgrade? We live Bozeman? in... Bozeman? Yeah, so Mountain Tufts in Bozeman. My family and I live in Three Forks, so we okay. pushed out into the country a few years ago, so I have about a 40-minute drive each day to work, but it's nice and quiet out there.
1: It's got to be nice. Uh, you're, Isn't your location kind of by Four Corners Yeah, Because you were... You you had a gym kind of there by Stone Glacier, right? Uh, There on the north kind of part of town by the interstate. That was pretty handy for you hopping off the interstate, I'm sure.
0: It was, yeah. <clears throat> it's been interesting. We have kind of followed Stone Glacier around in terms of our facility, and it's been phenomenal because we're always working on different collaborations and projects with those guys. And I've known their marketing director, Lyle, for a long time, actually, since we were kids. So when they moved into that original building, we came in next door. And then when they moved into their new facility, we were kind of bummed because we were going to miss them really bad as neighbors. Yeah. But the same guy that built their new headquarters uh, a few months afterwards came and asked us if we wanted our new headquarters next door. And so we were able to follow them about a year later, which was awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're super good dudes. Yeah, Lyle's a great guy.
0: Lyle's awesome.
1: Yeah, he's hilarious, um,
0: and it, it's cool too because in the hunting season, everyone passes through Bozeman on all these different trips around the country. It's definitely some sort of a hub. Yeah, and they all go to visit Stone Glacier. So now a lot of them will, you know, swing by and let us know how Mountain Tough helped on their hunt. And it's yeah. really it's a it's a cool vibe, uh, cool community, cool neighborhood.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's such a perfect kind of marriage of you know of businesses and the type of person because obviously those guys are hardcore. Yep. those dudes at Stone Glacier get after it. They do sheep hunting and elk hunting and everything that they do. Antelope hunting and um, some pretty serious in shape dudes in there for sure.
0: Yeah, their company culture is impressive. How many diehard hunters they've brought into their their system is really, really cool and unique. And I think it makes them have a really amazing culture because mm-hmm. you'll see them shooting their bows every day. Um, you'll see guys coming in with animals every day. It's really awesome.
1: That's a, uh, it really starts with Kurt, you know, started and it's interesting. He started uh, that like, i um, like two miles from right here in Frenchtown because he grew up here. Oh yeah. 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 So like, I remember his dad, Tim Roscoe, and I don't know how many people really probably know it, but his dad, Tim, was a legendary football coach. Um, I don't know how many state titles he won here in Frenchtown. Um, you know, he's inducted into the Montana Coaches Hall of Fame. and Wow. Like, his dad was hardcore. Yeah. So, the fact that Kurt's hardcore, I mean, that uh, that apple didn't fall far from the tree because Tim Tim, like – even as he was getting older and stuff, even today, you see him. I mean, that son some bitch is chiseled. Yeah. He, he lived in the gym.
0: Well, it's funny, too, because with the Mountain Tough lab being next door to Stone Glacier, it was always kind of one of my hopes and dreams that, like, Kurt would come over to Mountain Tough and train every day. Yeah. And he's so disciplined and religious and systematized. Yeah. Even though we're next door... He's still like clockwork, like on the minute he gets into his truck every day and he goes to the Y and lifts, but he like writes his own routines, has his own system, never misses a single workout. And Kurt's the same way. Like he, there was that celebration 50-year birthday shirt that Lyle did for Kurt for Stone Glacier, Yeah, but he looks like he's like 32 or something. He's (laughs) just like ripped.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, he's... Um, uh, he's a badass. And I remember Tim telling me God, clear back then he was like, yeah, my kids in Alaska doing this and that. And then he was in Hawaii doing this and that. And then he, and he was telling us like, yeah, he's, he's sewing some packs like in the basement or whatever. And he's starting this pack company and you know, he's working on a sewing machine, trying different stuff. And then he's prototyping it in Alaska. And I mean, you know, it was like, oh, that's cool. You know, never really thought much of it. And, and then what they ended up building is really cool. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's so, amazing. Yeah. Uh so with Mountain Tough um for people that don't know, I mean you guys and I, and I actually don't know a, t- a ton about you guys, but I I think I I know enough to just be dangerous and get a few things wrong and a few things right, but <laughs> uh you know, you guys had a public gym, right? But but today you guys really don't do the public gym thing anymore, is that right? It's kind of moved mostly all to online training.
0: It has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's been a uh, evolution of the Mountain Tough business over the years, but it is much closer right now to the original vision than it ever has been before. So
1: what was the original vision?
0: So the original vision was to have mission specific training for the backcountry hunter and military athlete available globally through digital platforms, but we also a very, two other very key components to our mission since day one has number one is we always strive to be best in the world at mental toughness training. And so that has always been a component, but the second component has always been that everything we do has to be tested in a lab Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of different workouts and there's a lot of different, fitness channels you could go down but we wanted to make sure that if we're training hunters that needs to be proven before we release it to the public and if we're if we're training special forces that needs to be proven before it's taken out to the public and so a lot of those original public gym type classes were tied into that lab concept Mm -hmm. and in 2017 Mountain Tough was available on a digital platform, but it was 2021 that it went into the full native app. So, when it went into the full native app, the app really took off and it digital has always been 99% of our revenue mm-hmm. is folks around the country and world training through the app. We still have a lab, we still have athletes coming in every single day to test specific programs but we had to back the public classes off because it was like running two separate business businesses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be tough. I mean, not to mention the overhead and, and all of that, but like you say, you're, you're really, you know, I, I get it. I, we, even with our company with like being direct to consumer and we haven't yet opened up like the retail stores, it's like a whole nother business And, and we're not, I don't think we're ready to do it, uh, well. And I could see us right now, if we tried to do both, we'd probably probably do both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which isn't good enough. Right.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so that would be, I could see that being tough. And, and my, so my wife actually you met her out here, Jessica, she, when I met her, she was a fitness instructor in Missoula mm-hmm. at, the, at the peak and she'd been there forever. Um, and i i got a little behind the scenes kind of look at like what that's like and and the difficulties right if an instructor doesn't show up and and you know you don't know how many people are coming and and the overhead with it and there's just so much behind that um organizationally with employees and yeah it, it's it's a lot plus the overhead of the building and everything else it uh i could see where it'd be a real challenge for you guys
0: yeah these entrepreneurship journeys are really fun and and, and interesting and challenging cuz you do go through times and seasons where you want to say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And then you go through times and seasons where you realize you're outside of your lane a little bit. And like, as I've, as I've gotten older and we're going into our eighth year in 24, it's like the more we can stay in the lane, the better, but it, it's not easy to do that. Like there's always something trying to, to pull you outside of your main lane and each time i've dabbled in that it's it's caused some difficulties that we've had to navigate around but it's it's hard to manage because you're so excited Mm -hmm. you're all in you want to get involved in a lot of different things but you can't i don't think you can reach everyone you want to reach if you're not staying inside of that lane
1: um you're speaking our language because we we're at that exciting phase where we have so much growth happening but Um, with that growth also comes amazing opportunities and a lot of a lot of things being thrown at you for um, different options and different things you can do and oh you should make this and you should make that and you could get into this and you could get into that and and individually they sound like good ideas but then you look them as a whole and like does it does it fit the core values of what the company was the mission statement right and that's where you have to be like no that's not who we are Like, especially not today, we, we don't have the capacity to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, with, but with that, that had to have been incredibly difficult. You know, what, what I remember with Jessica, when she was teaching the reason, you know, once she quit her teaching, uh, uh, school teaching job and we hired her out here, you know, we're about 20 miles from that gym. And for about another eight or 10 months, she kept going, driving all the way into town, to teach a fitness class and drive back. And basically by the time you figured fuel into it, (laughs) she wasn't making any money, but she kept doing that because of the community Mm -hmm. and her, she'd been teaching those classes for like 15 straight years. And, you know, once I met her and I started going to her classes, uh, you started really quickly realizing that that was its own community. I mean, those people, and they were holding each other accountable and where were you and what the hell, why weren't you here? Um, And that was the hardest thing for her to quit. It wasn't the fitness class, and it wasn't definitely wasn't the gym. It was her people. Like, she felt she was letting down by not doing that anymore. So when you guys closed down your gym to the public, that had to have been difficult.
0: Yeah, I would say it was one of the definitely top three hardest things I've had to go through in Mountain Tough's history. It was always the classes. So the way that it worked for Mountain Tough was we – essentially for since for 20 since 2016 to 2022 so let's say 6 years we ran three mountain tough classes per day and it was the morning crew the noon crew and the afternoon crew and i loved it so much it definitely was my baby and it was so much satisfaction and rewarding to like push people to their breaking point and push Mm -hmm. them past that breaking point and to try to create some of the, the most unique and like challenging team workouts in the country. It was, it was like a huge cup filler for me and the, the community and the accountability and the energy in the room was so exciting and so awesome that I actually, I actually continued to do Mountain Tough classes much longer than I should have in mm-hmm. hindsight. But it was because it was so rewarding to me. And it actually was the way that Mountain Tough got off the ground as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, we started with, like, 20. It it started with three guys in the park behind my house. Okay. And then those— Because t-
1: I was going to ask you, like, what year was that?
0: That was 16.
1: Okay. And, and how—why you? Like, what were you doing— before did you did you just say hey guys let's let's start working out together or did you have a background what, what was that
0: yeah so the the founding story is that I was a Montana kid so I'm born and raised in Billings and I have a big family we have we have a lot of uncles because my dad came from a family of nine and it was seven boys and two girls and so we were always camping, always hunting.
1: Imagine how many things were broken that was. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> There's no I have nice one things. boy. Yeah. One
1: boy. And if, man, if he even had one brother, I mean, because he, he wants to wrestle and fight with his sisters, then they just, you know, like, don't even entertain it. Yeah. If I had a, a Hank squared in the house, it would just be <laughs> destruction. So nine, or seven of them would be, my dad actually had 11 sisters and four brothers.
0: Holy so smoke! 16 of them. And,
1: uh, That's insane. Yeah. And no twins. And I, and I don't, I still, I'm just like, you just couldn't have nice things.
0: Yeah. you just survived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I grew up just you know, immersed in the outdoors. That's all that we did. And then that led into those high school and college years. I guided fly fishing and we were just archery elk hunting all the time. And that was my dad's passion. That was my passion. And it was a it was a unique series of events that led to actual the first day of Mountain Tough. I got a business degree from MSU, and it was in a way kind of what the world was telling me to do because I didn't really have a passion for engineering. I didn't really have a passion for um, some of the specialized degrees out there. So I was just like, business sounds good. I'm Mm -hmm. going into business and that right away, you could tell where that would cause some problems with like my outdoor passions and my passions to be physically active. Like that business degree in a way was setting me up to be a little unhappy because I've, I continued to follow that traditional path where it was like business degree, got it done well, I have a degree, so I should go right and get some sort of corporate America job.
1: Right. Sit, Sit behind a desk.
0: Yep. So that's exactly what I did. I graduated from MSU with a marketing and management degree, went to work for a really cool company, a phenomenal company. On paper, they were paying me an insane amount of money. It was a corporate America type job. We were interviewing Fortune 500 executives in like a think tank setting. But instantly I was like not in a good spot. I was on the phone like eight hours a day, sitting at a desk eight to 12 hours a day. And everything that filled my cup was outdoors and in physical activity. And so I was kind of navigating through that. My wife was in a really similar boat. She kind of followed the exact same path that I did. She got a marketing degree. She was at an advertising agency and we were both really in a similar situation where it's like, man, the world kind of encourages you to follow this path. And the world world is kind of saying this is the path to success mm-hmm. or happiness. But we were both super miserable. And what happened is we, our church did kind of a call to action. They were like, hey, we're going to go to Ethiopia and we're going to help some kids. We really need about 20 volunteers, and we both signed up for that trip, and we were just thinking, we'll go on this trip, we'll come back to work. And it was a two-week trip to Ethiopia, and we ended up just working on the ground in a landfill for the full two weeks. So it would be like equivalent to if you had a couple hundred kids living full-time in the Missoula dump in so. Yeah. The kids lived there, they slept there. And the reason they were there is because the landfill had more opportunities to get food than if they would have lived somewhere else. And so, yeah, it was, it was insane. And so we spent two weeks there. And what happened is we came home from that trip. We didn't have any kids at the time and we were trying to reconcile like, like what we're going to do with our lives. We'd followed this path that didn't seem to quite make sense anymore. And so we decided to quit our jobs and just go straight back to Africa. And so Lindsay and I quit and we went back to Africa and it was a really, like, it was kind of this cool divine thing where like we were miserable and Bozeman, we were kind of in a post trip depression after that Ethiopia Mm -hmm. trip because you're back in America and life's so good, easy, so easy. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of saw what you saw. And I ran, I met a Bozeman guy that had been building orphanages in Uganda. I never knew that he existed, but he had a very similar story where he was a stockbroker, was really successful, went to Africa, and then ended up quitting his job and going right back. And he'd been over there for about 10 years with a headquarter office in Bozeman. And so we went to work for him. And that led us to his latest project, which was like a campus for rescuing Ugandans. Ugandan just went through this civil war where Joseph Kony's like this infamous warlord that he actually murdered around 600,000 people. Damn. But he, he did it using a lot of child soldiers. So we wound up at this campus of 240 kids and about 200 of the kids were orphans from the war, but about 20 to 40 of the kids were actually rescued from being child soldiers themselves. Damn. And it was just like the most rewarding, cup-filling, adrenaline-pumping job that we ever could have imagined. Mm -hmm. It was a really cool set up we had uh, the 240 kids there was a first aid type clinic there was a primary school a secondary school and then there was a lot of things in place to teach the kids how to be entrepreneurs because the founder that was his big vision is how can I help so that these kids aren't stuck in the orphanage system their whole life and that got me fired up because the whole thing was around how do you teach these kids job skills so that they can get out and start their own businesses. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of agriculture projects cause that's big over there. So we had a pineapple farm. We had an egg production operation with chickens. We had a tilapia pond for a fish production business. Mm. And so it was kind of like you're teaching these kids, these micro businesses all day and just trying to pour into them. And you're outside all day. Did
1: they soak it up? Were they, uh, were they at all resistant to it, or were they like very appreciative of it and <clears throat> diving into it?
0: Yeah, they soaked it up. They were they were super into it and appreciative of it. Of course, just like just like kids at home, like there's going to be some that are more into it than others. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a. It's, I just
1: wonder with being that desperate and destitute. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, the, the, the fact that they're literally starving and in that much need, you would think they'd definitely be much more open to ideas of, of change or
0: yeah. You know, progress. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're definitely, they definitely were super fired up about it. It's, it's kind of a big deal over there to get enough school fees to go to like a high school and a college. hmm. And so they knew that by working at some of these micro businesses that that was an opportunity. So some of them were were all in on that concept because for a lot of those kids, like making it through high school would like break a whole generational curse in their family. Like, Like no one in their family would have been through high school up until that point. So they knew if they could help at the chicken business, raise a little school fee money that they had a shot at that. So they were pretty committed.
1: I've, well, i you know, I've traveled a fair amount, <clears throat> not as much as some, but I've, uh, you know, we took my kids with me when we got married in Costa Rica and we, which Costa Rica's, you know, pretty dang good country compared to where you're talking about. But even then there's, uh, you know, they're happy and they're, they're, they're fine, but they definitely, the, the, a lot of those kids and especially in the small places we we're in are still living, you know, well below what we would call the poverty line, and um, and then when we were in my wife and I were in Mexico, I we got a tour of kind of where the natives live. You know, you're down on the beach, you go to Cabo or these places, and you know everything's you know really nice and manicured and whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you go kind of across the fence, and and it's literally less than a half a mile. Yep. you you leave the beach, and within shit, even a quarter mile uh, that, that we had a. Our friends had a, a guy down there that they knew really well that spoke perfect English. He actually was raised in the U.S. until he was a senior in high school, but he's native Mexican. Mm-hmm. And he took us around where he lived, where his mom lived, and then just where everybody's at. And we drove all over. And this is mind-boggling. Like, the, the, you know, your dump story hits me because I still have the picture on my phone of this. we passed this little girl, just adorable little she reminds me of your little one, mm-hmm. um, younger than her. But this girl was probably four, sitting on a pile of garbage, just playing. Yeah, like no big deal. And she smiled when we went by, and her mom was in the house doing something, waved at us. And I mean, they had recycled pieces of particle board and tin, just whatever they could find, you know. And I was a lineman at the time, so you know, working for the power company. I'm looking at the electricity lines that they were just strung up through the cactuses. Jeez. And the guy told me that, you know, it's pretty often that somebody there dies because they just go lean up like an aluminum ladder against a cactus when they have a problem with the power and they're messing with it. They don't have any education and they get cooked, you know. Yeah. Um, But it makes you, you know, I, I took a lot of video of like, I was wondering, and part of part of you makes you go like, God, why are these people being so trashy? Like, ah, so dirty. Like, you, your instant reaction be like, what a bunch of slobby go bastards. Go negative, right? yeah. Yeah, go negative, but... The guy was explaining to me, and this is the whole thing about socialism, right? And you could get into politics on all this, but they have water tanks on their houses. And you think about water and garbage. Well, the water and garbage are all through the federal government. And they're supposed to, you know, garbage is supposed to come once a week. Water was supposed to come once a week. Well, somebody just pays off the government guy that's supposed to be filling the water. He doesn't go fill it. And then some other person, basically cartel type person, comes around and sells you water. Hmm. And because you're, you're desperate and you need water. Yeah. And same thing with, uh, the government was just so inept that the garbage trucks just didn't come. Like he says, I haven't seen a garbage truck in two years. So these people take their garbage sacks out and they just walk across a little dirt road over into the desert and they just throw their garbage bags. Um, they don't have a landfill. They don't have a way to even get there. And so they just throw their garbage bags out in the desert and there was garbage for miles just strung out, you know, the winds had it, had it blown all through hanging in the cactuses and it's just everywhere. And it looked like the Missoula landfill, um, frankly worse. And, uh, then you start to realize like, Oh, that it's the government that isn't providing these services. And these people have zero way of like manage it themselves. So, and so they end up tossing it out. It's wild. Yeah. And so I came home, the point of all this thing, you know, I come home and I show my kids all these videos and, My kids are worrying about their 4-H steer and their AAU sports and, you know, whatever minor things, when their next basketball game is and what car they want to buy when they're old enough in high school. And just like, you guys have no idea how lucky we have it here, you know.
0: We have have really no idea how fortunate we are that the American system was set up this well. Mm -hmm. And so, like, each time I come home, from one of those trips where you do get more into that third world environment, it is a little mind blowing that a, we created a system that is so good. That's worked this long. And then B it's just like, man, thank you. Like to stand on the soldiers of the shoulders of the guys that, that thought of some of this stuff yeah, and just the appreciation that like we do we do not want to screw this up. We just went to South Africa this year on a trip to see a buddy and do some hunting. And I asked him if he ever gets pulled over because we were just like rallying down this road in this land cruiser at like 120 miles an hour. And he has lived there his whole entire life. He's 34-ish and he's never been pulled over And He's like, you don't want to be pulled over because the police are so corrupt, but he's like, I've never been pulled over once. And he actually said that the sheriff in his town has had flat tires on his patrol car for like three or four years. So there's not even a chance he's going to get pulled over. And I was just like, man, we, we take for granted a lot of amazing things Yeah, in America in Montana, like in in Montana like you you always know that like the cops have your back and they're going to help you out of a really tough situation right and and they're around if something's going to go sideways to take all that away and just have this deep deep fear of being pulled over or to know that no one's even out there like we're just we're just so lucky
1: yeah the um you know you the the fact that we've had you know security and pretty much guaranteed food and water. Um, Those are the pillars of a civil society, you know, Mm. and it's, it's why it's so frustrating at times to see what's happening with some of the degradation of our security and some of our government stuff going on, because those are those, you know, there are a few bad cops out there. Like there is it, you know, there's bad fitness instructors out there. There's bad knife makers. There's bad people. Right. But in general, when you're, you know we were talking actually last night with my kids about how like to just be able to go to sleep at night and not have any like any real actual worry no worry that that, yeah. that someone's not coming into your home or you know you even look at like what's going on in ukraine and russia right now and it blows me away when i watch some of the videos i see there'll be like a trench dug and these guys are fighting in these trenches and if you look past all the the fighting you see, like this gorgeous hayfield, and like this really, like some of these drone shots. There's like a really nice paved road going through a beautiful hayfield, mm-hmm. with a nice little farmhouse over in the trees. It looks like something you'd find out, you know, uh, in by Great Falls or something in Eastern Montana or Augusta. Just beautiful, yeah. And and then they have trenches dug in it, and they're shooting each other from four feet away, and it's blows you away that like that 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 you, you can't even comprehend that in our nation right it's and that was a civilized very beautiful farm farm country that just completely went to hell and we don't have to worry about those things here and until we do someday but um
0: yeah boots if we, on the ground in america
1: we, yeah if we keep uh you know security and and you know our system running um which with the more we become, the less security we have, the less chance you have of guaranteed food and water and power and all those things, you know, but mm-hmm. got off track a little bit, but it's definitely, those experiences in those countries, you know, I've been to Abu Dhabi, I've been to Turkey, you know, Mexico and different places, and, uh yeah, I just come, I come home so thankful for what we've got. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, I always come home thankful, and then I always come home with a, another weird kind of perception that's difficult to wrap your mind around as well as a lot of those people in the poverty environments are really, really happy. And so even yes. in that extreme poverty, they're, they're typically way happier than Americans.
1: I'm so glad you picked up on that. Cause in Mexico with what I saw, I said that little girl smiled at us. Mm-hmm. The mom waved at us and smiled. Her, her daughter's playing on a pile of garbage. And everybody we met and everybody that we saw, and, and also they embrace their families like big time, like we don't around here. Mm-hmm. Um, they he even, he even, he even took us like one on part of the tour was to take us to the cemetery. And like they go there and they have barbecues and they celebrate their dead and whatever. But like his four boys were riding around with him and they're in their 20s, um, but they're just so family oriented. But they don't have much. So the only real place they have that's joyous is their family. Community. Yep. Their yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We, um, I was telling my wife yesterday, actually, like after this big drop and stuff, you know, it's interesting how like success and some things that are going really well can also create so many headaches, right? <laughs> like how do we grow? How do we, should we hire more people? Should we do all this? And you don't really sit around and celebrate like, wow, look how far we've come in 12 months. We sit around and we stress about where we're going in the next 12. And we, cre- we literally create these problems for ourselves that other people, like if if they've just had a meal and their family's healthy and safe and no one's sick, um, they couldn't be happier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to figure out because how big is, is big enough from like a business perspective? Mm-hmm. And where are you going to draw that line at and where are you going to draw that line at with when it comes to quality of time with your mental state or quality of time with your family? Cause there's always in business, there's always one more hill to take and one more project to work on, mm-hmm. but then it can, it can kind of start to change the dynamic of what you got into it for originally. Mm-hmm. And Figuring that out is, like, a constant battle, I think.
1: Yeah, and and as I was actually going to get into this a little bit later, but it's, you know, with that um, also comes, like, uh, you know, the slipping of or the letting go of time with, uh, like, um, focus on fitness, right? And, you know, with what I have going right now, and it's it's easy to say, like, well, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I got to get out here, like, this morning, come out here and set up this podcast stuff and get ready for the – the drop and get some emails answered because Dustin's coming and I won't have time in the middle of the day. Right. And so you can yep. build in these excuses to not like, well, I'm not going to go downstairs and work out. Right. And a lot of it is excuses. A lot of it's just poor time management, but um, you know, and I, I want to get into some of that stuff, but it's, it's easy to place other things as priorities, including family, you know, place things over family fitness, you know, maybe helping your community or, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you, you are, you do think you're doing the right thing, but a lot of that can also lead to not being super happy, which is I think what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, if you're like, I'm, you know, frankly, like I'm now like out of shape, right. You know, out of shape. Uh, so like feeling guilty about that and knowing I need to get in shape, but then also like feeling bad. Cause like, I got to go on this trip and I got to go to this show and I got to go do this thing and I'm missing this game. And yeah, it's like, but in the end, you should feel really happy because your business is super successful. <laughs> but because of that, you're also like slacking on other parts. So it's this weird dichotomy, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and it's I'm not I'm not boohooing here. Like I'd rather have the stresses and the issues I have now. I just, it's a lot of it's about managing your time better and yeah, choosing those like you say the distractions you kind of let off with, with like staying in your lane and narrowing that focus back down. Mm-hmm. You know. So when you were over in Africa. Uh, and you were working for that guy, and you were doing that stuff. How, how, where did this Mountain Tough idea start? How did that come into play?
0: Yeah, so to wrap, kind of a close on on that story, how that led to an actual founding of Mountain Tough. We, so my wife and I are over there, we're loving it. It's the you know the funnest job we've ever had up until that point in our lives, and we thought we were gonna, we thought we were gonna do that for a long time. So we built a little guest house over there and we were kind of directing that campus and there was a pretty big staff and we were just having a blast. And my wife got pregnant with our first daughter. And so... Totally her fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And it was... It's really funny to think about it now. I tell people all the time that... that We just were so naive what bringing a child into this world was going to do to our lives. So we were like, no big deal. We're going to have a couple weeks. We'll go back home to Bozeman. And then our daughter will be delivered in Bozeman Hospital. And then we'll stay with family for like six weeks and then head back over and go back to work in Africa. So that was kind of the plan. And we followed it all the way up until the labor and delivery room. And then when my daughter came out as like this real human that I was responsible for to protect and provide for, I was like, there's no way we can go back to Africa right now. Just with the the health and safety concerns and the logistical and travel concerns, I was like, there's no way. And that was really a, a cool moment in our lives because we were so naive on what, having your first kid does to your life. We, we were at home in Bozeman with no plan B. So, so no jobs and no plan B. And that's really where mountain tough came out of. And, and I'd been thinking about it for years to clarify. So I still was doing a lot of archery elk hunting and I still was doing a lot of fitness stuff leading up until this point. So I was always kind of a gym rat and, Then I was also very into marathon running and running some of the 50Ks in the Rocky Mountain West. And then I was still doing a lot of archery elk hunting. And so when I I was home with no plan B, it was a kind of failure's not an option window. And it was kind of like you hear a lot of folks talk about burn the ships. Well, the ships were kind of burned when... I was just home without a plan B. But what I knew is that previous experience of corporate America, I didn't want to go back to that because Africa had taught me so much about you do need to stay in your lane as well as far as passions are concerned. Mm-hmm. And my passions were the backcountry and physical fitness. And so it started really, really American dream bootstrap. I actually had Lyle design the logo But I drew the logo on a piece of paper, sent it to Lyle. He turned it into our actual Mountain Tough logo. But the way that it got off the ground is I hung a flyer at Big Sky Archery in Bozeman. And it was just the new logo. And it said, looking to train backcountry hunters. And then it had the pull-off phone number slits on the bottom. That's awesome. And like three guys called next to the guy uh, selling firewood. Yeah. Right by the firewood guy (laughs) (laughs) or like the puppies for sale. And uh, that's how we got off the ground. It started with just a few guys meeting in the park behind my house in Bozeman. And then it, it, it took off from there in those original years. It was like the Mount, the, the country was ready for that. The, the market was ready for, someone to give them guidance on training for a lot of these hunts. And so, yeah, cause you see guys like there's like Cam
1: Haynes out there, but he's not really giving any advice or guidance.
0: Like, nope.
1: You just see him working out.
0: Yeah. You see you, him
1: doing his thing, but how do you get there?
0: Yeah. How do you do it? You yeah. Know. There was no one doing the, the step-by-step plan, especially for high elevation, rugged train, a lot of these multi-day hunts. And what, what also was very obvious is a lot of folks had been on backcountry hunts and got crushed by the mountain. So a lot of people had been to Colorado for their first time or Montana for their first time and had a really difficult experience. So when we came to the market finally as a digital platform and we're like, here's the step-by-step plan to get ready for hunting season, the the market was just kind of sitting there waiting for that product to exist.
1: Sure yeah, and I've <clears throat> you know you hear that so much from and, and I didn't really I, I kind of disrespected our own mountains around here because like we're we're out here in Missoula. I don't and I grew up in Lincoln. Um, you yeah, know, we have mountains, but like I've traveled to Colorado and to Alberta and BC and like I'm like, well our mountains are kind of lame. Their mountains are legit, you know. And then when I was out in Ohio, and down in Texas at total archery challenge and whatnot you know for like a week driving around doing stuff and then you come home and it's like oh yeah dude we do have mountains here <laughs> <laughs> like when you're when you're where there are no mountains it's just like tyler from archery country i was laughing at him because like we were just on his place when we were bow hunting with uh with rogan and he drove us up on top of the it's like the tallest point in their county mm-hmm. and it's like a 250 foot high bump like, it's just (laughs) like knob, you know, that's their mountain. Yeah. And I was like, this is literally the tallest point in this entire County. And it's like something to be proud of, you know, and we were kind of laughing about it, but you come home to here and it's like, okay. And so those people like that, they, you know, from Ohio and Iowa and whatever, they've been, you know, whitetail hunting in a tree stand or hiking around doing what they're doing. And then they get out here and even in mountains that I don't consider huge, you know, our Sixty eight hundred feet or whatever here that we can climb up to, yeah, just crushes them. Because how how do you train for that when you live around nothing but cornfields?
0: It's a big difference, and it's really intimidating for a lot of folks. Like a lot of folks won't book that first trip because of that intimidation factor. The, the or
1: f- or they even if they do, they come out and and especially you get into Colorado where you're hunting at ten or eleven thousand feet, or they come out and they just have they can't even get started really.
0: Yeah, or they get started and they stay in the tent the rest of the trip. Yeah. We saw that a lot early on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's nothing more frustrating and also kind of um it's a real kicking the balls to your ego when you see elk up on a hill they're within reason and like you can't get there. Mhm. You know, and, I mean, that'll make you walk off the hill going, God, I'm a fat piece of shit. Like, I got to fix that. Because because um, there are a lot of times you see stuff you can get to or or somebody could get to, but it's just like, I can't do it, you know. Or you definitely don't want to be that guy in the group. Yeah. You know, yeah. letting your hunting partner down is a big one.
0: That's big. and I think that that's why we spent so much time at Mountain Tough building that mental toughness as well. So... That was always in the original recipes, and it's even more so today. And so the, the company has evolved a lot, where today we spend a lot of time within the app through all the content we're producing, making sure that we're looking at each customer from a very holistic point of view. So we spend a lot of time on the physical programming, but then we're also baking a lot of mental toughness training into the physical programming without folks realizing it so
1: so i want to pause on that because yeah. i, I want to actually get into that but i want to go back um you know you and your wife were we're we're in in a, in a few guys in a park mm-hmm. um did you have any you didn't really have like a fitness background from a from an actual training standpoint right just so is that when you kind of started like did you do a lot of reading or did you start just a lot of learning? Cause like, how do you go from being a guy that's just lived in the gym to being like into the science part later on? Yeah. Was that transition? Cause I, I look at it very similar to myself where like I was a knife maker, right? I was a custom knife maker. Um, that would be the equivalent of you just being a gym rat. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're a fitness scientist or that you're ready to, to have a big app and a bunch of people follow you. And, and for me, I wasn't ready to, have a large scale manufacturing process. Yeah. Know? Like I didn't know, I know how to make a good knife, you know, and you know how to get in shape, but like, how do you, how do you, how do you scale that up? And how do you build that? Cause I, for me personally, and I still do a ton of this researching, reading uh, you know, watching other videos um, and, and just trying to, trying to gather as much knowledge as I could from different areas. What, what was that, that kind of time period like for you?
0: For sure. That's a really good point. So, my experience was once I saw it. So my wife didn't wasn't out there on the ground with me. She's always been behind the scenes. Um, but when it when the park session started getting some momentum behind them, I I knew that Mountain Tough this idea had legs and it was going to go somewhere. Like you could you could feel it, and you knew that we were on to something Mm -hmm. but you're spot on like I wasn't a certified trainer so I went and got that done and just like you mentioned I was reading everything I could get my hands on watching every video I could get my hands on especially when it came to staying in our lane of mission specific training Mm -hmm. for high elevation rugged terrain but for me the best answer to that question was really starting to assemble the team. So what kind of poured gas on the fire of getting an idea turned into a business was assembling the team. And so that first year I was alone, but by year two, we had a pretty dedicated, very specific team to kind of go and chase this vision and turn it into a reality So I was kind of the backcountry guy because of my hunting experience. But right away, we brought on board a lieutenant colonel army ranger, and his whole focus was that mental toughness side. Yeah, And then we also right away brought on a legendary trainer that had helped some folks like on Everest and K2 expeditions, just a legend personal trainer one-on-one. He'd been in Bozeman a long time. And then we had another Montana kid that just got home from the SEAL teams and he brought a lot of that mental toughness side as well. So kind of starting alone to over the next year, putting that team together with everyone coming in with understanding of what we were trying to accomplish, that's really what turned the whole thing into reality because now we had a purpose and we had a mission And we had a team where each person was bringing their specialty to the project that we were trying to get off the ground. So once the team was assembled, then it was the kind of the whole story was there where we're going to help you mentally with this mental experience. We're going to help you physically with this training experience. But we're going to run everything through the grid of, does this actually help you in the backcountry? Is this going to actually help you in September? So the, the assembly of a team really poured gas on that fire. I assume is very similar to your experience Mm -hmm. as
1: well. Yeah. I love that you, that's the first thing you said. Cause um, part of the reason I didn't start my company back when I, and I registered the name when I was 19, Um, Crazy, you know, so I didn't launch it till I was 39 and I was a few things. I wasn't, really, I wasn't financially ready at all. I wasn't mentally ready. I wasn't in a personal life place, you know, with four young kids. And, you know, I ended up divorced. So, like, there was just a lot of reasons why it wasn't the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once I decided it was the right time, I feel like I was at a stage in an age in life where it didn't have to necessarily be all about me or I had to do it by myself. Um, I'd actually kind of had, an, I think, enough life experience to know, like, Okay, know your lane, right? Just like you talked about earlier. So, like, and I, got, I just got lucky as hell f- through Bert Soren's people, just yeah. his video and his media people knowing Brandon, yeah, from previous relationships, um, connecting us. But once I found Brandon and realized how good he was, and that he got my vision, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have built this without him, right? So, so bringing people into the team that had expertise that I didn't, and then you know like Andrew our director of operations and even just getting lucky some of the young kids that were literally kids I mean Tristan was still in high school and now he's down there managing you know the kids downstairs and I just I I found I think one of the most important things you can do is is be like it's like a general manager for a baseball team right like bring in the right pieces yeah and you can win world titles yeah you know um you can have Michael Jordan, but you got to have the pieces around him, Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, for us building that team, that's, that's when like you can just accomplish so much more with a group of people and you can cover different expertises and different bases. And, um, so I love that you said that cause it's, it, it is multifaceted, right. And you, how are you supposed to be expected to have all of the answers and be one person? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. It's like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Exactly. It's so true and accurate. And it's going to be really, really helpful for a lot of entrepreneurs that are trying to start something to, I think the sooner that they can realize that the better. Right. Because if you go in all alone for a long time, you're going to, you're going to limit your growth and limit your audience because mm-hmm. everyone's going to relate to customers differently as well. at Now, when I think about it a lot, fast forwarding to where we are now, we even talk about it a lot where now kind of the goal is kind of like that special operations team where we're all united, we're all united on the the mission, and we're going to accomplish the mission no matter what, but each person on that team has a really specific skill set, so like in the special operations world, it's going to be like your breacher and your medic and your comms where right. for our world, it's going to be your marketing and your ops and your sales and business development right? and, and content and training. Your science
1: guy. And yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I love that. And they always say you're, you're kind of only as good as your weakest player. Right. And, and uh, if you're missing any one of those pieces, it makes a huge Huge difference, you yeah. know. If you're missing your medical guy, right? If you're missing your breacher or your sniper, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge blow to your team. And that's, and that's, uh, now I, 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 love that mentality because I also feel like that that's how you can scale. You know, back to you talking about the gym. Like, I understood when I had heard you guys had closed that and what you were doing that that the The gym with the fitness classes and the people coming in and the public, that's also so hard to scale, Mm -hmm. you know, and if, and you you can say like, well, we're going to start a branch in Missoula and then we're going to start one down in Denver and we're going to start one over here in Salt Lake. But like there again, you have to have the people to run it. You have to have the capital to invest in it and all the equipment and you have to have people who treat it like their owners in every one of those locations. That's hard to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that I'm glad you brought that up because that's really what solidified that decision for me was that exact point that I had a pretty eye opening moment where I knew that if we continued to do class, we could help the local people that were coming to those classes and an X amount of people through the app and the online subscription. Our Mount Tufts huge goal right now is to, to help a hundred thousand consumers by November of 2026. Mm -hmm. And we say help because we define ourselves as much more as a fitness app. We're, We're really helping a lot of people completely transform their lives because of the holistic approach. But it was really obvious that if I continued to run two separate businesses that we're competing for time, energy, and resources, that we were never going to accomplish the 100,000 goal. right? And so I would much rather, I think it's much more important and much more impactful for the limited time we have on this earth to to impact as many people as possible. It was much more impactful to help 100,000 than let's say 10,000. And the only way I was going to do that was by focusing that time, energy, and resource. And it's not just my time. I think when businesses get outside of their lane, it's actually, it's a huge drag on the team's time as well because mm-hmm. maybe the team's not working on that second side project, but the distractions in the office and the energy is just enough to, to change the whole dynamics. Mm-hmm. And so clarifying that, that like the goal is to help a hundred thousand people to reach that goal. We have to make some changes. That that really helped me kind of define that before we ended up kind of backing those classes off.
1: So, getting into the app, how? Okay, you're not in my basement with me at six a.m. Right? So, how are you accomplishing the the goal of of helping that person with mental toughness? How how can you get that across in an app?
0: Yeah, so in the, in the early days, it was all through the programming that we were delivering in the workouts. Now it's much more robust. So now, right now in Mountain Tough Plus, we have specific mental toughness curriculum that you can go through that does not include workouts. So there's gonna be like a mindset 1.0 and 2.0 course. And that's just gonna make sure that consumers are aware of what mental toughness is what mindset is what's an example of something you'd find in those so that would be a a course on like mindset 1.0 we are gonna help you define your why we're gonna help you learn what to do when adversity comes your way help you define your purpose and then kind of get you in to either like some morning or evening journal routine routine so that you're thinking about this stuff all the time mm-hmm. and so that's going to be more traditional educational based mental toughness curriculum but the the other side of it is a lot around helping you turn your ceilings into floors through some some really tough workouts so one of the most valuable mental toughness tools that people can, latch on to is this kind of notion that we have to stop thinking about what's tomorrow and what's three months from now and what's six months from now and that's gonna build your mental toughness muscle for business it's gonna build your mental toughness muscle for life and fitness and so the really good analogy that you hear all the time is like that example brought into like SEAL training where someone will ask a Navy SEAL that went through BUDS, why did you make it and everyone else quit? And 9 out of 10 times that person will say everyone else quit because they started thinking about the next couple evolutions.
1: Right, right. A lot of those guys are just like, I just got to get to breakfast and, yep. and then I got to get make it to lunch yep. every day.
0: So, so everyone that makes it is going to think about, I just got to make it to breakfast. Most of the folks that are going to fail are saying, I can't do this for six more months or six more weeks. Right. And so a lot of our Mountain Tough programming is to develop that mindset that we're, we're just getting you to think one more rep at a time, one more foot in front of the other foot. We're not thinking about the next block or what's coming up next. And we're going to push you to a limit in some of our workouts that are going to seem impossible and you're going to do it, and you're going to realize that there is a whole new level. And so the pushing your physical limits really is one of the best ways to build that muscle, that mental toughness muscle is through some of that adversity. Sure.
1: How do you, um, okay, let's talk about me. Yeah. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I'm that guy that like uh, definitely slipped out of being as in shape as I want to be I can kind of turn it on and go in the mountains pretty well, but definitely not like I, like I could and like I want to for sure. Um, for me, it's more of a, um, you know, it's interesting because like getting started again and back to it, uh, and I had done this previously in my life where got out of shape and then like getting going again just sucks ass. Yeah. Right? And all I can think is, is you are the biggest piece of shit. Like <laughs> you're such a piece of shit. When you're like down there, you're working out, and you're like tired, and you know, like you used to do some of this stuff as just like a warm up, right? Um, where do you start, somebody you know, middle aged, twenty pounds overweight, just kind of out of shape? Um, do you, do you start? Do you start slowly and build in? Do you have different levels? And how do you how do you get someone to break through? Because to me, it's that first four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Once you're through that and a lot of that soreness is gone and you start to actually, cause that's a long enough period of time to start to see some results like, Oh, I only did two pull-ups and now I'm doing five and you know, 10 burpees was hard and now I'm doing 25, right? Yeah. 20. Um, how do you start somebody out and do you, do you kind of ramp them in or do you guys pour gas on it right away?
0: I think it's helpful to back up and, in- answer a couple things that really I think will change the game for you Mm -hmm. that change the game for most people that most people don't consider first before they get back into the gym. And if they don't work on these two things, then they usually fail. So it would be really helpful to start with some identity stuff. So if you start with identity, I'm a male. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up. Okay. No, so identity is going to be what allows you to stay consistent for the next 25 years. If we talk about just how to be consistent over the next six months, that is going to be short-burning fuel that is probably going to lead to a failure, failure being that you're going to probably quit working out. But if you can lock in the identity first, then you it's, you're just gonna be like on fire. The fitness and everything else, the mental, the whole holistic approach is gonna is gonna last for 10, 20, 30 years. So the way that you think about identity is you you're gonna be physically fit for a specific reason. And that reason has to be really important and real to you. So for what works for a lot of men with young kids, just for example, is going to be I am going to stay physically fit so that I can hunt with these two young boys until they're 18 and I could protect and be available for friends and family if there was an emergency or a trauma right? Um, Everyone's identity is going to look a little bit different. But so for me, it's a lot of my identity stuff that I talk about in my head now personally is going to be like, I want to, I want to hike the mountains with my grandkids. And I really want to see what the human body is actually capable of. I want to see where are these limits? How far can we take these limits? And so if I'm if I'm getting burnt out on like a 10 week training program, that identity stuff is going to give you that fuel to continue into the next year and the next year and the next year. Mm-hmm. So I think I would definitely recommend you start with a little bit of that work. Like is, is your identity to be a leader, a leader in your community, a leader for your family and creating good generational patterns for the next couple generations of your family, uh, hunting with kids, hunting with grandkids, that stuff being defined first is going to go a really, really, really long way. Sure. Otherwise, it's just you're going to work out, get sore, and not want to work out again.
1: Right, kind of figuring out your why.
0: Yep. The second thing that completely changes the whole entire game for most people And it's extra powerful if that identity stuff is done first. But the second thing is they call it the Spartan effect. And it's just you got to put something kind of challenging on your calendar. Mm -hmm. And so, like, next weekend, I'm going to go to the High Rocks in Dallas. Dallas High Rocks is this new thing that came out of Europe where they're saying it's the World Series for Functional Fitness. And so you have to be really strong, but you have to have really good cardio. Mm -hmm. And I just sign up for that stuff because it adds like this whole new layer of excitement to your training. But the Spartan effect is psychologically proven that the second you put something difficult on your calendar, it's not that hard to wake up early anymore, or it's not that hard to block off time on your calendar anymore. Cause you know, this daunting challenge is coming that you don't want to fail at and that you don't want to hurt too bad. Right. So most people are going to go to like a 10K, 5K, half marathon, uh, a trail race, uh, Ironman, half Ironman, or you'll see a lot of uh, mountaineering type climbs. Yep. But just deciding on one of those events and putting that event on your calendar, you do have to go one step further and actually register for that event. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you have your if anyone is looking to change their fitness habits and they work on their identity and register for something a little bit more difficult than they think they're prepared for, then that whole process becomes a hundred times easier than if you're just trying to white knuckle it.
1: Right. Right. That makes sense. How how much time and emphasis do you guys put into the app into um, like diet and food stuff?
0: We have quite a bit. Yeah, so we're we're focused on nutrition. We have uh, Eat Mountain Tough Nutrition program inside of the app that helps people sit down and build their nutrition plan based on their goals. We do have a brand new one coming out January 1st. So there is a lot of nutrition content in there and con- nutrition is, is so important. We always talk about With physical and mental health, it is so intertwined and like the mind-body connection is so real that like on a bar stool, if you do have your four pillars of your bar stool to live a full and abundant life at your maximum potential, one of the legs on that bar stool is going to be your physical fitness and health. Mm -hmm. And then one is going to be your mental toughness and health. And then certainly f- for us, we're big believers And one is your spiritual health and then one is nutritional. So mm-hmm. if you're crushing it in the gym, but you're not crushing it in nutrition, then that bar stool is going to tip over or you even see where someone is really physically crushing it in the gym, but they're not paying any attention to mental or spiritual health mm-hmm. and that, that bar stool is going to fall over. So it's, it's definitely a holistic approach.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's two things for me that I <clears throat> um, that I struggle with. You know, my wife came from the fitness background, so, like, every night when we go to bed, she sits there for the first five minutes or whatever, and she writes out her workout for the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, she has that background. She has that knowledge and understanding of, like, tying different things together, different movements, different goals she's trying to achieve for her body or whatever. You know, the average person doesn't have that. So, like, myself, I tend to... I tend to walk down there without a plan. Like, we have a we have a pretty nice gym in our basement. A couple yeah. of Sornex racks. Well, not next racks. We have those off-grid racks, but they're, they're actually those pretty sweet. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, could do a lot with them. Um, you know, an assault bike down there and a regular bike and a, and a treadmill and a pull-up bar and then, you know, kettlebells and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got plenty down there to crush yourself if you want to it's the going down there and just not knowing really like, well, I guess I'll do some of this and I'll do a little of that. And fuck, I don't know. I'm doing (laughs) what I'm doing down here. Right. And, uh, and you end up not doing, uh, you know, what, what I loved about when I met Jess and I started doing her classes and I had a huge, you know, I got in really, really damn good shape, uh, uh, through her classes was you could just walk into that class and just, do what she told you to do. You know, hers was more of a. Uh, she called it like gym class heroes, but it was kind of a um a boot weights, camp. boots camp, boot camp. So cardio mixed with weights. You know, and and it, you could be a little old lady in there with five pound weights, or you could be a dude in there with a with a bar and fair amount of weight on it. And then it was high rep. You know, so yeah, you know that forty five pounds on your bar, you you were gonna destroy yourself if you if you went hard. You mm-hmm. know, so it wasn't heavy weight, but those are so popular because you just walked, you walk in the gym and, you know, sleep in your eyes and yawning and pretty soon you're warmed up and the next thing you're just following and then you're done. Yeah. And it took no thought or effort into planning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with an app like yours, I have to imagine that stuff's all done for you where do you guys just have a every day this leads into this and just every, every day a guy can just walk in the gym and just follow it and not really have much planning and thought into it?
0: Yeah. We got to get going on our MGDs. So our MGDs are minimal gear dailies. And we actually started them for that exact reason of like, what would a product actually look like if you were going to replace a class, like someone's really good class Mm -hmm. and deliver that same experience through an app. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did last year with MGDs. And it's, easily one of our most successful and popular products. So what we did with those is it is using minimal gear. So kettlebells, dumbbells, pull-up bars, step-up boxes, and it is brand new every 24 hours, and then it expires every 24 hours. And the reason that we did that is because there is a huge part of going to a really good class. Any class around the country, whether that's at a local gym or CrossFit, one thing that starts to happen is that fear of missing out. And so if you're going all the time to a class and you miss Tuesday, you're like, shoot, what did everyone do Tuesday? Like, I really right. want to know what they did. Right. And so the MGDs for Mountain Tough expire every 24 hours for that reason. And because of that reason you're less likely to miss because you don't want to you don't want to miss out on what everyone else got to participate in sure and then they're fully coached so in mountain tough about 50% of our programs are self-guided which works really good for like a strength program yep and then about 50% of our programs are fully coached so it's essentially we're live right there with you all you have to do is hit play which is a a huge, huge factor in motivation and accountability as well because if you do go down to the gym without a plan, those distractions are going to sneak up on you really fast. Right. Like text, calls, emails. Yep. And so the the MGDs and our coach programs, like you're going to walk in, hit play. You're going to see a Mountain Tough coach coaching you a brand new workout every single day. But we're also going to have other athletes in our lab so we usually have one male one female that you're kind of benchmarking off of or you're trying to keep up with or you're trying to beat and reps or numbers or the size of your dumbbells or kettlebells so it creates that same feeling as class like
1: that was that was that that was that whole thing right like you walk in there you're you know jess would be like hey today you're gonna need um a bar with some weights on it you know and a, a a set of of um, you know, kettlebells or whatever, one light set, one heavy set, and you go over there and you're grabbing 15s, and the dude next to you grabs 20s, and you're like, man, yeah, I'll grab 20s, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and then and then for sure, like you get to going, and you're doing rep stuff right. Maybe it's maybe it's burpees, and you're jumping over your bar, and then and then you're grabbing your bar, and you're doing some squat presses, right? And that guy next to you, you know, like if if you have I don't know how you wouldn't be this way, but if you have any competitive spirit in you at all. Yeah. Like, you know, there was times there's a guy next to you that's just a machine. You're not going to beat him, but like, well, I'm not going to let him lap me. Yeah. Right. It's or huge. Or, you know, you start getting into better shape and you start catching and then pretty soon, like you're right there with the dude and you're pushing him. And maybe it's like, I'm only going to, how long can I stay with him? Maybe it's half the class. Yeah. That's, y- you know, and then I'm puking, but at least like, I stayed with him for half the class right and and that measuring against yourself with other people in that group setting that that's definitely something when you're in your house and you're in your basement it's hard to recreate that mm-hmm. competitive you got to be really mentally tough to
0: almost visualize somebody next to you one rep ahead of you the whole time yeah you know? it's hard to push yourself to that level in when you're alone mm-hmm. but the, even if it even if you just have one other person it helps and that's helped a lot with the MGDs because, like, you're gonna you're gonna see a guy on the screen and you're gonna see the size of kettlebell he's using. You're gonna see how many rounds he's getting. Just the other day, we had uh, an MGD that included a 10 minute wall sit, and we didn't know this going into it. What exactly was gonna happen? We'd filmed a lot of programming where. Folks were doing some three-minute wall sits and some five-minute wall sits. Yeah, uh, but I was I was coaching that day. We're filming, and we have one female, one male, and it's a basically a finisher to the workout of a ten-minute wall sit. The the awesome thing about that accountability and that competitive nature is so people at home there. There's thousands of mountain toughers using the MGD every single day, and so they. They hear that and they're like, I can't, there's no way I'm doing like three, four, five, six minutes in a perfect 90 degree wall sit. Yeah. And so we've, we assume, I assume that our athletes in the lab would probably take two breaks. I, pr- I figured they'd probably go like five, two, and three or something like that for minutes. Well, Devin, our female athlete, she went the whole 10 minutes unbroken. Damn. Which was mind-blowing like it was really awesome. Yeah. But what happened is every single all those thousands of people at home went like 3 or 4 minutes longer than they thought was sure. even humanly possible for them. Right. Because they're at home on their wall watching their TV or computer or phone and they see Devin not breaking at all. And so you're like, "Well, I'm not going to break if she's not going to break." Yeah. So that that accountability in and looking at some of your peers and competing with your peers, it goes a long ways for, for physical and mental toughness.
1: Well, and the mind is interesting. Cause if you tell me I have to go, um, I mean the last two months I haven't been doing it with hunting season and stuff, but this summer I was, you know, out running, you know, and if I would go to run, it's interesting. If I, if I said I'm going to just go run a mile, um, you go run a mile. And then I was like, you know, you start kind of counting down the, you know, you're seeing the finish line and you kind of allow yourself to be tired or get to a mental state of like, oh, I'm done. But then when I'd say I'm going to go run three, I felt the same as when I was going to go run run one. And then when I ran five and I just said in the beginning of the workout, like I'm going to run five today, I'm going to run out two and a half miles and run back two and a half. Um, it's, it's weird how setting that, like that, that marker, that cone out there, it didn't matter the distance. I felt the same in the last quarter mile for every one of them, Yeah, right? It's just because the brain knows, like, oh, you're almost done or you're almost there, and you start to, like, whether it's let your guard down or start to allow your your brain to tell yourself it's tired or whatever, Mm -hmm. it didn't really seem to matter. So if you, in the same equivalent as the wall you if you said, hey, I'm going to run 26 miles today, I'm probably not going to run 26, but I can see that cone is out there 26 miles might run seven or eight before I take a break uh-huh. versus if I said I'm going to run five and a half, you know, it's, it's just weird. You're going to, your mind is going to allow yourself to get like weaker earlier. Yeah. You know, it's just weird. It's, it's weird how that, but that's part of that mental toughness part. That's just strange when you set that marker out there a lot further, what your body's capable of doing.
0: It's really interesting. And we used to run, we used to run tests and there's still a lot of these workouts inside of the app, but the workout will include a false finish, which comes from a lot of the special operations communities and it. It is really mind blowing how it'll break some people down in an instant. So you'll push someone really, really hard to the finish line of a workout and they know that finish line is coming and they're going all out. And then as soon as they're done, you, you're like surprised that actually is not the finish and when they do not know where the finish is at the the mental breakdowns happen right away for people that that aren't thinking about any of that mindset stuff and so you can you can take like a 20 person class and add a really nasty false finish on it and you can see like 10 people completely break down mentally yeah it, so like the, the that's month,
1: interesting it's like that I had a guy tell me about that. They went on like a twenty mile ridiculous ruck in the military. Yeah. And they got to the end, guys collapsed on the ground and the instructor said, actually you have to run and it was like a point on the hill like a half mile away. Like you could see it. Actually you have to get get your ass up and get over there. And uh he said a couple guys quit. Yeah. Like literally quit. All all the way done 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 entirely with it. 'Cause they they had in their mind Expended everything that they had to get to where they were laying currently on the ground, and they couldn't go another half mile. And the guys like, "You've ran twenty. Uh-huh. You only have to go a half more mile," but they were done. They were just done.
0: Yeah, and for some of like those examples, that was a huge life commitment. They like moved to that location. They probably had been training for like six or nine months, and then they quit at that moment instead of going that extra half mile, like it's that strong of like a mental tool. And I think that's why it's so powerful to everyone should start trying to shift that tool to, can I make it one more step, Mm -hmm. which is hard to do. Like we're all of us are guilty of thinking about work tomorrow, our finances tomorrow, our finances six months from now. But when you see it on the fitness side, how fast that can sneak up on you and you try to apply it into other areas of your life, it can be really helpful because it, it's the same thing where it's like if I do a 20 mile ruck and I finish and you tell me I have six more miles, if I'm not in that one foot in front of the other mindset, I'm going to have so much fear and self doubt come into my mind. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly if I tell you like, you're going to have a big financial crisis in six months. That same fear and that same doubt is going to feel exactly the same and paralyze you. So it's like all these tools are kind of really helpful to apply in other areas of your life. Sure. Yeah. It's
1: it's kind of eating that elephant one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not staring at the whole elephant while you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in regards to equipment with people using your guys's app, um, my wife and I actually probably have more equipment than most people in their house. And a lot of people don't pay a gym membership or maybe they don't have a good gym nearby or they've got young kids so they can't leave them at six in the morning to go work out before school, whatever it is, right? Um, It sounds like you guys have different levels of, uh, you know, app levels or, or workouts available for depending on what equipment people have. If they can't bench press or squat, obviously you said you've got, what did you call it? The, the MGDs, MGDs, Yeah. Um, and then do you, do you find a ton of people are using your, um, even though people actually do go to a full on gym and everything, people are using your app in the gym when they go to a public gym.
0: Yeah. So we see a little bit of everything in the app has all the options in it now. So we have no gear training. So that's going to be like really awesome body weight programs Mm-hmm. And then we have minimal gear training that's gonna be good for people that really like doing like that kettlebell dumbbell work. And then there's gonna be sandbag programs. So we launched a new sandbag program this year. Then there's the MGDs that you're just using that minimal gear every day. And then a lot of our other programs, we have pre deployment for the military, but then there's there's backcountry hunter in-season, pre-season, post-season, and spring training. Those are going to require a more robust gym setup where you have your squat rack and barbells. Mm-hmm. But we do have a lot of folks that they walk into their local gym, open up the app, and follow the programming there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks have a nice enough setup at home that they're just opening up the app and executing on that program at home. The market, the market is pretty split right now with fitness across the world where COVID did change the game a lot. So uh, through COVID, like, like 70% of people canceled their gym memberships and started training at home. And so many people found out they really like that and they like that schedule. And they like being able to walk downstairs and work out. Plus, they bought a lot of equipment through COVID mm-hmm. that a lot of a lot of people switch to that at home training and a lot of people switch to minimal gear too. So across the mountain tough community, it's a pretty even split of people that are training with gear or without gear. And then we have a really even split too on, there's a lot of people that love those coach programs, which is like live, just hit play. And then there's a lot of people that like the self guided style as well. Sure.
1: Yeah. No, it's very cool. Um, if you had uh kind of one of the last questions for for you here if you're somebody that doesn't have anything let's say you want to spend 1000 or 1500 yep. bucks yeah and then they're going to get your your program what pieces of gear do you think for you know 500 to 1500 bucks people should buy and kind of what order of importance like kettlebells or you know dumbbells or whatever you know stuff like that jump ropes whatever
0: yeah I think if if you had a thousand bucks and you were gonna really commit to your fitness this year and go all in and wanted to be functionally kinda always ready for anything. So like like functional hybrid fitness is so awesome when people really dive into it because they're they're gonna be ready for like the Spartan race in June. They're gonna be ready for like a ten K with their kids school but then they're going to be ready for elk hunting and they're going to be ready if there's like some car wreck that they have to get themselves out of. Right. So they're not going to be the world's best endurance athlete or the best strength athlete, but they're going to be really well balanced. Mm-hmm. Off $1,000, I would, I would for sure go down the minimal gear route. So I would make sure that I'm set up for programs like the sandbag and the MGDs. Because the functional fitness gains through those types of program programs are insane. So people always need barbells and heavy dumbbells to go through a really good strength phase. Because true strength you can't create unless you're putting your body under some pretty extreme loads. That's why you see a strength program doing like a 5 by 5 with two minutes rest between. So to really pack on a lot of strength you need that full gym equipment, but a lot of people already have that baseline or are close to baseline. And what they really need is like a lot more mobility and a lot more functionality and some more cardio and the, the minimal gear programming does that so well, but the minimal gear programming is it's kind of like being, you know how like farmers and ranchers are so tough, right? the minimal gear programming and the sandbag programming does that for people they're they're literally ready for anything because they're doing grip strength balance stabilization plyometrics so they're agile functional hybrid athletes
1: i feel like that's the place like for someone like at my stage in life like most of us want to get back to that place then build on there if you want to do some strength training or you know put on some muscle or whatever
0: yeah um yeah if you went through a a good phase of minimal gear and then like next winter you did a nice solid strength block right you'd be you'd be sitting so well but but you think the uh like kettlebells are like for for that
1: thousand bucks
0: yeah for the thousand bucks so it would be like a light kettlebell a heavy kettlebell and then it would be your lighter, just like two sets of dumbbells, a lighter set and a heavier set. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to need a step-up box or we're using Yeti coolers for mm-hmm. all our step-up bo- step boxes. And then we recommend everyone create some sort of pull-up bar yep. because you just can't get your back super strong off minimal gear without that pull-up bar for pull-ups and chin-ups. But that's what I would focus on
1: remember, do you remember P90X back in the day? Yeah. And I got that program and I did that one year. I got in really good shape, but, uh, I don't know how many days in a row I puked on that program.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's some hard workouts.
1: And I built a pull-up bar, uh, in my knife shop, and now it's hanging down in our gym, welded up a really nice pull-up bar and painted it all and whatnot. You know, just, uh, it's, it's a good one, but, uh, God, that thing destroyed me in my uh in my shop. That was <laughs> God, that had been back in like two thousand five. Yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago. That P90. Yeah, those DVDs. Yep. Yep. And then I think one of them got scratched, so I had like <laughs> this weird like gap in the in the program, you know. <laughs> trying it, to keep those things from getting beat up.
0: That thing went viral for back then though. It and, did. And then it went to insanity.
1: Yeah. Yeah they were everywhere. Yep. that be, that was like the thing for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Well, cool, man. Um, I think what you guys are doing really is really cool. I think the way you've built your brand in the hunt community, um, I think it speaks to most people. I know that, I mean, our guys downstairs, I mean, they go to the gym in Missoula almost every day together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of them have tried your, some of them actually might be on your program. I haven't asked them what specifically they do. I just know they go to the gyms in Missoula, but it's all based around hunting season. Yeah. For those guys.
0: That urgency.
1: Yeah. I feel like we have a similar-ish culture to Stone Glacier as far as like, I've always said I want to have people work for us that are core end users, you know, they are actually doing the thing. And when our customers see pictures on our website or, you know, if they follow some of our, that's actually why we highlight so many of our employees on our social media stuff that we do or on our, our vlogs on YouTube and whatnot is I want people to be able to follow Tristan or Melissa or Andrew or whoever and and see that like, Oh, that person that works at that knife company is also like doing the thing on Saturday. Yep. They're out hunting and they're backpacking and active people
0: so awesome yeah Yeah. and it
1: creates a cool culture downstairs because they've even raised each other's levels um you know one particular guy that hadn't been doing a lot and he got a job here and then it just you know he looking around and i think he just decided to get after it
0: yeah and everyone's going to the gym Mm -hmm. you might as well go with them yep and that's what he's
1: been doing it's really cool to see that's awesome you know which i'm proud of the other people for including him in that and being a, it's a supportive community that way,
0: you know. You guys have done an amazing job. It's really super proud of you for what you've created. It's amazing. I appreciate that.
1: Well, cool. Uh, anything else to add or anything coming up that you want to talk about? Or um, oh. how, how, do, how do people, you know, I'm
0: assuming they just get on like
1: Apple Store and download the app. Um, do they go to your website and can they read about it or what? What's that all look like?
0: Yeah, the cool thing about Mountain Tough is everyone starts on a 14-day free trial. So you can get the 14-day trial through mountaintough.com or just straight through the the app store. And then you have those two weeks to be in there and kind of poke around and see everything that we have to offer. So you'll see all the physical programming, and then you'll see all the the mental. We have prehab, rehab, nutrition, and then you're going to see a lot of Bonus content. We have our podcast in there, some challenge workouts. So it is a, a loaded library of information for people now, and they can check that out on that 14 day free trial. And then we are we are putting out a lot of educational content on MountainTough.com. So on the blog, if people are looking for more information on you know elevation training for archery elk season next year post-season training the blog is is a wealth of content and then it, everything else is related to the normal you know social media channels they're going to find us at mountain tough fitness awesome
1: well cool man i appreciate it it's been cool to watch you guys build i mean we've been kind of at it in a similar amount of time as far as getting going and it's been been awesome to you know i've heard through bert and some other folks obviously over there in Bozeman and what you guys have been doing and it's been really cool. So
0: man, thank you. Appreciate you coming over. Yeah, you bet. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thanks.